Good morning. Good to see everybody in God's house today. If y'all will turn with me in your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. We are kicking off a brand new series today, and uh, it is, it's going to be a, a pretty uh, heavy one, I guess would be the right way to say it, uh, at least for most of it. And, um, and we got some, as, as was being mentioned by Pastor Derek, we got some really cool things coming up. Of course, Growth Track Step 1, if you're new with us and you want to get to know us better, I mean, there's absolutely no better way than after this service. Uh, if you've got kiddos, grab them, bring them, we'll have a child care for them. But our Growth Track room is right through those doors over there. Uh, learn about who we are, what we believe, and how you can become a part of our church, church family. And if nothing else, ask more questions from leadership uh, that's going to be in there. And of course, our trunk or treat is coming up. Oh my goodness, right? Everybody's been talking about this stuff for years now. And, uh, and so finally, we are we're pulling the trigger on it and we're going to go all out. And so we need people with their vehicles who have a good sense of fun and want to have a really great night. Again, five to seven on Halloween night, October 31st. It's going to be a really great time. Please sign up through either the app or the website. Let us know that you would like to be a part of that. And of course, either way, make sure you partake in that if you've got kids or grandkids. Our new city catechism this week is what should we pray? As a congregation, the whole word of God directs and inspires us in what we should pray, including the prayer Jesus himself taught us. You know, a lot of times people say, I don't know what to pray or I don't know how to pray. And the answer is, as we read scripture, we can pray that back to God. And, and the answer is not how eloquent are you or how good are you in your speech. Remember Moses, that was his excuse to God going to Egypt. He says, I'm not a good, I, I'm not, I can't speak really well, Lord. You know I can't speak. And the Lord said, who is the one who creates the mouth? Who is the one who makes man? He says, is it not I? I will give you the words to speak and I will give you the ability. And so the thrust behind this what is our heart motivation when we pray to God? And if you're having trouble praying or if you're having trouble hearing from God, then I would begin to question, are we reading the word of God? Because that's very clearly his word to us, to his people, so that we might know him, relate to him, and be in relation with him. And so that's very important as we go through things. Today we start this new series, Elephant Room. And I was mentioned to someone this morning, they, they came in from out of town and it's a blessing to have them. And I was telling them, I said, you came on the weightiest message that I probably are, am going to give in the next five weeks. Today, we're going to be talking about the murder of the unborn. I don't utilize that word lightly. I don't utilize it for the shock factor that it may give some people. Um, we're going to be talking about abortion today. Four years ago, we actually addressed this topic. And so I'm coming at it from a slightly different angle uh, today as well. And, and for us to begin to look and figure out what lens are we going to look through? How are we going to hear some of the things that are going to be said in the next minutes? And what can we do about the things that we hear? And so the question really begins today. There's three of them for the most part is when does life begin? Right? So, I mean, that has to be a question because that's what's only debated. But even today, the science, as we're going to see in just a little bit, it does not even offer room for debate when it comes to when does life begin? Does the Bible and science confirm that all abortion is murder? And what can we do in light of all these things to make a difference? It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, this is so important to set up the, the text. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, 
Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, good gracious alive. All of us were out. We're all done. I mean, are y'all following that? Like every single one of us sitting in this room, every single one of us to some degree or another is thrown into this category and is defined by God that we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, that we're not going to see the kingdom of God, that we are not saved. We're not right before God, but here we go. Y'all ready for it? Verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen? I mean, this is where, this is the bad news, verse 9 through 10, and here's the good news. This is the bad news, here's the good news, and this is the lens, I want to say it now, I'm going to say it later. This is the lens, I believe, without a doubt, you have to hear the words that are about to be said. You have to understand through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no sin that overpowers the blood of Jesus. We are all guilty at bottom and base level for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are deserving of death. All of us deserve God's wrath, and yet Jesus took it for us. So what you're not going to get today, and if you run away from here trying to utilize this as a way to basically rectify what I'm saying to say, well, this sin's worse than that sin. Listen to what I'm getting at. We are all guilty of sin. The lens we have to view what's about to be said, the lens we have to view what is about to be said is that there is forgiveness in one name and one name alone, and his name is Jesus. There is forgiveness of sin, past, present, future in the name of Jesus. Your sin is not greater than God's grace. Can we get an amen this morning? Your past failures are not greater than God's grace. And that is the lens I believe we must view what is going to be said. Because what ends up happening very quickly is we take verse 9 through 10 and basically if you've been in the church all of your life then it's an us and them thing. Well I haven't done this and I haven't done that and I haven't done that and I haven't done that. And it begins to be this animosity one towards another because the people outside of the church hate the people within the church because they said they're all stuck up and they're a bunch of hypocrites knowing they've done the exact same things but in different ways. And then people inside of the church sadly become Pharisees rather than lovers of Jesus. And we begin to condemn every single person outside without, hear my words, without ever extending the grace that we were first extended through Jesus Christ without ever first loving those people where they're at because listen, we were all once in darkness. We were all once in our former ignorant ways. We've been called out of darkness into light and therefore it is our job to help other people see the light in the midst of the darkness that they're in. It is our job, it is our privilege. You see, I once was fill in the blank. I once was a thief, I once was an adulterer, I once was a murderer, I once was but by the blood of Jesus Christ, I've been set free. But by the blood of Jesus Christ, I have been set free. I have been washed. I have been sanctified. I have been justified. This is how God sees me. On the screen behind me, there's a phrase that I think should be used. There is no sin past, present, or future that the blood of Jesus cannot overcome. We cannot out-sin God's grace. Your sin is not greater than the blood of 
of Jesus. And so for the next few minutes, here's what I'm asking you to do, if you will. Everything that's about to be said, I need you to hear through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need you to hear through the lens of the forgiveness that is offered through the blood, the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. We've got to hear it there so that we can actually be people who make a difference in the lives of others. Because here's a fact, here's a stat, it's an alarming one, but 23.7% of women by the age of 44 will have had an abortion. Now does that mean every single one of them will have had an abortion, some of which are having multiple abortions, which makes the number that high, but nonetheless, did you hear what I just said? So that's a one in four almost ratio, look it up if you want yourselves, there's a lot of stats gonna be given today. But that's a one in four ratio, and I cannot imagine myself to say today that there is not potentially someone in this service or the next service or someone who's watching at home now that has not been through this, has not made this decision. And who are we, the church, to then shame them and force them out and not allow them to have the forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ and not to extend that grace? So number one, if you're taking notes down with me this morning, life begins at conception. If you're taking notes down with me this morning, life begins at conception. People love animals, right? In all 50 states, we have animal protection laws and there should be laws against hurting animals, correct? I love my dog. I got a dog named Coco. I love the dog so much that I had a previous dog that looked exactly like it named Coco, so we named this one Coco. Original Coco is buried in the back pasture. New Coco stays inside of our house right now, right? I mean, we, we love dogs. My kid loves the dogs. I take the dog with me every now and then. It's a guard dog. I mean, it's a Maltese. It's very vicious. Um, it's, it's kind of like a hunting dog. It's not able to maul them, but it bites them on their throat and pull. I'm kidding. It's a joke. It's a Maltese. If you don't know what a Maltese is, look it up later and you're like, that dude has a Maltese? Like, what's that all about? Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you, Bubba. So like the deal is though is, uh, you know, every now and then I'll, I'll take it with me just because it wants to get out of the house and all that kind of good stuff. So the other day I was dropping Beckham off and I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to take the dog with me. And, and, and so anyway, I, I go and, and I, I, you know, take him inside and I come back less than three minutes later. It wasn't long at all. And then my truck smells different. I'm just like, wow, I don't remember putting that air scent in my truck. I don't remember that one. That sounds like one of those really nasty ones. And Lo and behold, I look in my back seat and there's gifts of brownies all throughout the back seat, at least five. And I'm just like, you're so small. How can you possibly possess something like that? So I walk back inside of the house, get a paper towel, get a Walmart sack and begin my business of helping. And I'm just like, what is the deal with the dogs? And my dad, my dad, he loves us so much, man, my dad. Um, my kids go over to his house and they always find things that we need. Have your kids ever done that? They're never satisfied with anything that you have to offer them, even if it's some decent stuff, but it's always cooler at someone else's house. Well, Pop's house is that much cooler than everybody else's house. And so they said, Pop, we want chickens. They have no ability to take care of the chickens. It doesn't bother them at all. There is someone else who's going to take care of the chickens because Erica doesn't like animals. Pray for her, right? So the answer is he builds them a small chicken coop and arrives with eight chickens, little bitty chicks that have a light have some food to go with, and it's like, good luck, guys. And I'm like, you're kidding me. So the chickens start out at eight, and then my wife, who again, doesn't like animals that much, decides to get us three full-grown chickens to add to the equation. I'm like, what? The kids, within a matter of moments, because you can't get rid of them after they have a name, there's Buck, there's Penny, there's like, I don't know, there's a bunch of other names. I'm like, oh my gosh. I leave for Alaska, I get back, now there's an expanded chicken coop with a run shuttle through it. They've been looking up stuff. And then I have even more chicken. I mean, we're like, I don't know, 15 to 20 deep. I don't know what's happening. 
And now Faith has a fresh egg business. So if you're looking for eggs, she's expecting in the spring to be running a couple of dozen a day. So she has her own stickers and everything to go on them. I mean, it's a, it's a, big, it's a big deal. It's, it's quite, a, quite a factory. She has cheap labor with Abram. So uh, she's doing her thing. We, 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 I say that to say this. We place so much value on animals. You know, you see the Sarah McLaughlin song, it's not for people dying, it's for animals. It's got the sad, droopy animal waiting for you to come and get them and stuff, and they always pick the one that's happy and wagging its tail, and then they give you the super sad one without the one ravaging, wanting to rip your head off and inviting you to bring them into your house. Not saying all of them will do that. I know some of y'all have adopted. That's a wonderful thing. I commend you for that, right? Statistically, I've said it before, but people are more willing, this is a fact, more willing to buy medicine for their pets and administer the medicine than they are to buy the medicine, even if it's life-threatening for themselves, and to administer it to themselves. They're more likely to do that for their pets. That shows how we value life. I even saw recently that a vegan movement is basically going to some local grocery stores, not here, I'm sure it's Seattle or somewhere like that, um, or Portland, but they're going to grocery stores and they're placing roses on top of, um, of meat that's been, you know, processed and everything else. And it's amazing. I love it. Because there's a little deal on uh, Instagram or Facebook where it's got this guy eating a big steak and then the camera pans and it's got like a beer bottle with a rose inside of it. And he's like, this is really nice, you know? I mean, so the thing is, is like people have this amazing love for animals, but here's the crazy part. Animals, no matter how great they are, see biscuit. Humans, no matter how fragile or limited they are, someone who has non-function, even non-brain, I mean, as limited as they are, are still not even remotely to be compared between the two. We, unlike any other animal, are created in the image of God. We are distinct even from the angels who do not even have that distinction. Human beings alone, as frail and as flawed as we are at this point in time, are created uniquely in the image and likeness of God. And yet we see today people wholesale pushing and promoting under the label of pro-choice the murder of the unborn. We see that coming up in the election and we see it from every single election that we roll into where you have candidates standing on one side or the other of the equation. You see people having studies on crack babies specifically and looking all the way back to 1989 and basically saying there's no way, there's no quality of life, you can't do anything for them, they're only going to be failures. There's studies that even show the fact that, yes, immediately there's some hardship that they go through, but the way in which they conform themselves, and if they are loved, and if they are nurtured, and if they are brought up into an environment that they can absolutely have wonderful quality of life, be highly productive, and wonderful people. Remember, it's not specifically what happened to them in the past. It's what do we do with them? Do we let them live? Or do we murder them in the womb? Right now, even within this church, there are families through fostering and then through adoption that are raising up children today who are healthy, happy, and have a wonderful and bright future ahead of them by God's grace because somebody was there to stand in the gap and to step up. Man alone is unique in the created order. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says it this way, God said, let us make man in our image and and our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Do you understand that we have a unique distinction? We have a unique distinction with us. We have a moral compass. We have a spiritual compass. We know when things are right and when they are wrong, even if we are skewed in our understanding of those things. Even if our consciences are seared, there is still a true right and a true wrong. We are able to make moral distinctions. How many animals do you think reflect on the goodness of God? How many animals do you think are over here reflecting this morning on the Lord's day on the goodness of God? How many animals do you think ponder the art of Leonardo da Vinci or the music of Bach? And how many animals do you think have made hymns a praise to the majesty and the wonder of God? How many? Yet we place such a high value on animals and yet such a low value on human life. We all love animals watching TV, right? We love a baby zebra running around, walking around. It's all cool until about three minutes into the pan and then a lion comes into the screen, right? And then the, the lion comes into the screen and when the lion comes into the screen, all of a sudden the flock begin to run and when the flock begins to run, the lion goes after what? The weakest and the youngest and the frailest and what happens to it? It gets mauled to death. Now I want to ask you a question and this is something that's going to be really deep, right? Are you ready for some deep stuff? Did you wear your waders today? Is the animal, the lion, at any point in time saying, I know I shouldn't be doing this. Man, I know I should not be attacking this young zebra. I know I shouldn't be doing that. As he's mauling it and ripping it apart and into pieces, do you think he's like, man, I really shouldn't be doing this. The blood's gushing. I shouldn't be doing this. This poor baby zebra. You're not responding properly. The answer is, it does not think about it for even a split second. It is looking for food and for food alone. That's it. God created it with specific things that it would do. It is not morally saying, is this right or is this wrong? God has uniquely created us to have a moral compass, to have a spiritual compass, to know certain things are right and certain things are wrong. And some of you are like, but my dog, my dog knows when it does wrong. Your dog knows that it does wrong because you've trained it to know what is right and what is wrong. Pigs, for instance, you're like, well, pigs, what about pigs? Well, my family, we had a pet pig. I'd rather say Amy had a pet pig at our home for a little while back in the day when I was growing up. The pig was not super smart, but it knew how to do a little bit of this and a little bit of this, and how to interact with human beings a little bit. But all you have to do is take that same pig, let it go wild into the wilderness, and it's what we would end up pretty much calling a crossbreed of a hog, basically. And what do they do? They tear up ground left and right. They tear up crops. They tear up everything you can possibly imagine. Check out my yard if you want to know. The only reason that an animal responds as beautiful and as wonderful as they are is because they can be trained to do certain things, but they do not have a moral and spiritual compass on them. They don't have it. So when does life begin? Because here's the argument, right? You said it begins at conception. What is, when does life begin? At the moment of conception, life begins. I'll give you a few verses that are way more than this, but just a few. Luke chapter 1, verse 41 through 44. I'm not reading all of it, but just look at this. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, this is Jesus, right? Mary, Jesus, the baby leaped in her womb. This is John the Baptist leaping in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. What is it? It's explaining the baby in her womb. Not her body, not her choice. The baby in her womb responded, not some cluster of cells. No, the baby responded to the voice. The Holy Spirit moved her. We're talking about conception. We're talking about life. 
Psalms 51 verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. What's another way of saying? Something's happening even behind the scenes, even before we're born, that's taking place between the 23 chromosomes from both the mother and the father coming together. Because when you look at that baby, even when it's one single cell, you're ready for it. That DNA is completely unique to that one single cell that is life. That begins to rapidly multiply cell after cell after cell after cell after cell after cell. Every single thing that is coded in its genetic code there is within the DNA of that child at that very moment. And you're like, but it's a cell. I say it's life. The Bible says it's life. Psalms 139, verse 13 through 16. I'm just going to read verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. The next verses after that are what a response to the fact of what God has done. The fact that he has planned out his steps even before he was a thought in his mother's womb is what it's really getting to. Check out those verses later. One of the most explicit verses against abortion in the Bible, and you've probably never even heard of this verse if you've looked up any of this stuff before, but is Exodus 21. Check this out. Exodus 21, verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 22 through 25. This is a code of, of law. This is how they are to behave amongst themselves when men strive, so when they fight together and hit a pregnant woman so that her child come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined as the husband shall impose on him and as he shall pay as the judge determines. What is this saying? It's saying even if it's accidental, even if it's not something that was premeditated, even if it was not something that was planned, but this happens, and even if the baby's okay, because this happened, because it happened specifically to a what? A woman who was pregnant. There is going to be a penalty, but let's go further. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, and eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. What is this getting at? It's saying that that life inside of that woman, even from the very moment of conception all the way until full term, that is a life. That is a life that is fully determined by the fact that if someone intentionally is seeking to harm someone, they are going to be tried for murder. Look at our Louisiana laws for feticide. Look, look at the difference between whether it's intentional and even if it's the third degree level in which it's unintentional, but yet if you're a drunk driving and you hit a woman going down the road in your vehicle and that baby dies, you are being held for murder of the child. I mean, you, you understand what's happening here? But yet, in most states, full term, within a few days or a few hours, you can still go and have that baby cut to pieces and vacuum suctioned out and stabbed through the heart to get it going. I mean, y'all follow, this is, this is America. Professor Jaime Gordon of the Mayo Clinic said this, by all criteria of modern molecular, molecular I have trouble with that word, biology, life is present from the moment of conception. So second is this, abortion is the murder of unborn children. This is fact, not fallacy. Second point is this, is, I mean, this is where we're going to get in a little bit of stats, going to get a little bit heavy here. Abortion is the murder of unborn children. This is fact, not fallacy. Colt, if you got on the screen, man, I have a few books that can do way better than I can do. I feel really bad about not being able to do justice to this. But up here, he can leave it for a second, is 
Uh, two of them are by Wayne Grudem. He has excellence on, on the whole way across the board. So if you want to take a picture of that or, or write it down. And the middle one is by Randy Alcorn. It's, it's Pro-Life Answers to Pro-Choice Arguments. It's excellent resources if you're interested in those. But abortion is the murder. And you're like, man, you're throwing around that word way too eaten. I'm, I'm not. I'm trying to drive a point. I'm trying not to dress it up for what it's not. I'm trying to help us recognize specifically as Christians, and maybe some of you in here today are not Christians. You're like, oh my gosh, I came on the wrong Sunday. This is a little bit heavy. No, you came on the exact right Sunday. I believe God providentially brought you here today so that we might talk about a subject that needs to be talked about. Sadly, so many churches don't discuss things that need to be discussed. The Word of God has answers for us and for what we're going through in this life. And specifically, young men and young women need to hear the Word of God and hear the Word of life and to know that there is hope. They're to know that there is hope. We do not need to compound sin with more sin. If a young woman gets pregnant outside of marriage, we do not need to be the place that simply says there is no place for you. No, we need to be the people who surround that person and say, how can we help you? There are alternatives beyond murdering a young baby. You understand what I'm saying? We can't talk about how bad this is if we are not opening our arms individually and as a church as a whole. We've got to be. Exodus 20 verse 13, so clear, so short. You shall not murder. First commandment, you shall not murder. Specifically here, we're talking about what? Talking about abortion. So you say, some of you out here, maybe this morning, you're not, I don't believe in the Bible. It's not my ultimate authority, Josh. I mean, I believe parts of it, but I don't believe all of it. That's another conversation we can talk later. So when does life begin? Ben Shapiro, he's not a Christian, but he has some good argumentation. He's had different people asking questions. Should we draw the line at the heartbeat? I mean, it's not a life until it's a heartbeat. What about you in here this morning, or maybe you who are watching, who are living off a pacemaker? Should we kill you? Your heart can't beat without electric shock, so should we kill you? Do you see how the conversation begins to go if that's where we're going to make a definitive statement? Or do we draw the line at brain function? Well, there's no brain function. Yeah, there's brain there, but maybe no brain function there yet. So does that mean I get to go to the hospital and kill people in comas? I mean, is, is, that, is that what that means? I get to do that. Do we draw the line at the quality of potential life? Well, go back to the coma again. You have a potential of getting out of the coma and potential of having a quality of life, and who gets to decide what quality of life even is? Is it not God, the one who created us, the one who sustains us, and the one who says what is right and what is wrong? So who are we to begin to say what is the quality of life? And here's another way to look at it. You say that there's potential of coming out of the coma. Well, I want to tell you, even when there's one cell in the womb of the mother, there's potential for a young man or young woman who can change the world. There's potential for a young man or young woman who can change the world. A professor gave an example to one of his classes, and, and he basically said there was a, a mother with complex health conditions and a father with complex health conditions, and they had a child, their first child had complex health conditions, and the third child, second child, and the third child, and then the fourth child, and he said, what would you say to this family who is pregnant now and about to have their fifth child? He said, I would tell them to have an abortion, no doubt. He says, you have just killed Beethoven. Look it up. Look it up. You just killed Beethoven. And you're like, that can't be a real example. That is a real example. Just look it up. Science confirms the truth that life begins at conception. You ready for a few facts here? 18 days from conception, the heart begins to beat. The baby's on blood. 
28 days from conception, the baby's eyes, ears, and even they have a tongue. 30 days from conception, the child has grown 10,000 times. The brain has human portions, blood flow in the veins. Five weeks after conception, your baby's brain and face are growing and depressions are giving rise to the nostrils to become visible and beginning to have a retinas formed. The lower limb buds that will become legs appear and the arm buds that will sprout uh, in later weeks are now beginning to take shape. 42 days, brain waves can be detected. The jaw forms, including teeth and taste buds. Six weeks after conception, your baby's lower limb buds begin to take the form and shape. Your baby is roughly about half an inch long at this point in time. 52 days, spontaneous movement begins. The baby, the unborn baby that develops a whole collection of movements over the next four weeks, including hiccuping, frowning, squinting, furrowing the brow, pursuing the lips, or pursing the lips, sorry, moving individual arms and legs, head turning, touching his or her face, breathing without air, stretching, opening the mouth, yawning and sucking. Man, eight weeks, eight and a half weeks, unborn baby's fingerprints are being engraved. Eyelids and palms of hands are sensitive to touch. Y'all hear that? Sensitive to touch. Nine weeks from conception, the unborn baby will bend fingers around an object placing his, placed in his or her palm. Unique fingerprints appear. Thumb sucking may occur. Ten weeks, the unborn baby's body is sensitive to touch. He, she squints, swallows, puckers up the brow and frowns. Eyelids, fingertips, and even fingernails are evident. Eleven weeks, the unborn now practices breathing since he or she will have to breathe immediately after birth. Baby urinates and the stomach muscles can now contract. Vocal cords and taste buds form facial expressions and even smiles are evident. Eleven weeks. Thirteen weeks, the unborn baby is about three inches long, weighing approximately three ounces. His or her facial expressions may resemble the parents. The baby is active, but the baby is too small for the mother to feel anything. I'm going to stop right there. Thirteen weeks. But, but there's, there's, cooler, there's even more cool stuff ahead, right? Why stop at 13 weeks? Because 91% of abortions, according to the CDC, occur within the first 13 weeks of pregnancy. 91% of all abortions occur within the first 13 weeks. Did you hear what I just said? About eight and a half weeks in, they can feel. Don't believe that argument when people tell you they can't feel it. But they can feel. They recoil from a needle coming in, whether it's one to abort them or whether it's one to help them with some condition that they have that can be preventative. They recoil from it. You ever been stuck in the foot with something? You recoil from it immediately and you leash out in pain. Did you hear what I was just saying within those last weeks that I just mentioned that their facial expressions look like their parents? Nine weeks, they're sucking the thumb, potentially. I mean... In 1973, when Roe versus Wade was passed, there was no 3D sonogram. There was no 3D sonogram. And even today, abortion clinics and those who are pro-abortion, pro-choice, pro-murder of the unborn, they don't want people to get the sonogram in the first place because when you see it, you know that's a life. You know that's a life inside of you. There's no way of denying it. The statistics on the babies murdered by abortion is between, at this point in time in the U.S. alone, from 1973, between 59 to 60 plus million babies. 
59 to 62 plus million babies. Between 1980 and 1992, 1.5 million abortions occurred annually, an average of 1.5. U.S. abortions in 2017, 862,320. 186 abortions per 1,000 live births, according to CDC. Abortions per day, 2,362. Abortions per hour, 98 plus. One abortion every 96 seconds. How long's the message? Then you have people say, well, okay. Stop pushing this stuff, man. What about the horrible scenarios? What, what about the really, really bad ones? Rape and incest. What about those? That accounts for less than 1% of abortions. And though that was not the woman's choice by any stretch of the imagination, was it the child's? Was it the child? What about birth defects? We need to, you ready for this one? There's a massive difference between it's going to happen and possibly. There's a massive difference. I mean, with Abram, our second born. I mean, it initially showed that there was potentially a hole in his heart, and so they were on a little bit higher alert for us to make sure that everything was okay. And that's good, but was there a hole in his heart when he was born, or as he progressed further on in gestation? No, he was good to go. But I want to ask you, is it, because of a birth defect, does that mean we terminate the life? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Some of the most amazing people in the world have Down syndrome and they bring more joy than you or I could ever bring to multiple people all the time. What this argument comes down to is one of convenience. It's not of science and it's not of morality. This is an argument of convenience. It is more convenient that I don't have this baby, more convenient that I have sex without consequences outside of marriage, more convenient. It's that conversation. That's where it goes. Mary Elizabeth Williams from 2013, an article called So What If Abortion Ends Life? And this is just makes you tremble a little bit here. She says this, yet I know that throughout my own pregnancy, I never wavered for a moment in the belief that I was carrying a human life inside of me. I believe that a fetus is a human life. And that does not make me one iota less solidly pro-choice. Let's just start thinking about the crazy that just happened there. Think about it. Think about what she just said. It's fine. I don't care. I know it's a life. She goes on to say, here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about. Lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandmama and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her always. Period. Mary Elizabeth Williams. Does that not sound more like Nazi Germany? Does, does that not sound more like Nazi Germany? Isaiah 5, 20, not on the screen, but worth marking down. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Some people are like, my body, my choice, right? It's mine. My decision, 
No one can infringe upon my decisions. Okay, go prostitute yourself. Oh, oh yeah, you'll get arrested, my bad, sorry. Oh yeah, go steal your neighbor's vehicle and drive down the road intoxicated later on today and speed. Oh yeah, I forgot, you'll get arrested. I forgot about those. My freedom, my body, my choice. Go to a major airport and yell, bomb. Better yet, just ride on an airplane at a major airport and not wear a mask. You won't get to fly with them again. Go beat up a random stranger and tell him Brad Pitt sent you. You'll get arrested. Go to a police station with a loaded gun and threaten to kill officers and see what happens to you. Do you understand how absolutely insane my body, my choice, my decision, no one tells me what, yes, they do. Yes, we do. That's why we have laws. That's why we have police officers to uphold the law, and that's why we have judges to carry out the sentence that is just according to the law. I mean, that, that's why we have what we have. Wayne Grudem said it this way, so the question is not human freedom, but whether the law should always, should allow, I'm sorry, people's freedom to take their child's life. If the preborn child is considered a human person, the question is whether the government should allow people to commit murder against their own children. Certainly it should not, according to Wayne Grudem. According to Wayne Grudem. Is this not, I mean, is this not hitting hard? Matt Chandler said it this way in one of his sermons. He said it has its own DNA. It has its own genetic code. It has its own blood type. It has its own functioning brain. It has its own functioning kidneys. It has its own functioning lungs. It has its own dreams. It has its own dreams. This is what we're talking about. We're not talking about an it. We're not talking about a thing. We are talking about a precious baby. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. And some of y'all right now are like, oh my gosh. Where did I say we got to view this? Through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do, we, what do we have to view this? Through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. There is hope through Jesus Christ. There is redemption through Jesus Christ. Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, what did he do? He murdered Christians. Moses who led the people of Israel murdered an Egyptian and buried his body in the sand and then took off and yet God still used him. David, who's a man after God's own heart, what did he do? He slept with Bathsheba, committed adultery, and then had her husband Uriah killed when she got pregnant, and God still used him. Are we making a way to say sin's okay? Never. But what we are saying, and we'll say it every Sunday, and we'll say it every day because we're gonna read the word of God, is that God's grace is sufficient and the blood of Jesus covers sin for those who repent and believe. Those who repent and believe, Ephesians 5.11 says it this way, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. What are we going to do? Expose them. You want to find freedom in any area of your life right now? Expose the sin in your life for what it is. Call it what it is. Don't sugarcoat things in your life. Call it sin if God called it sin. He goes on to say in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, which means how you live. Look carefully, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because what? The days are evil. The days are evil. 2,000 years ago, the days were evil. 1,000 years ago, 50 years ago, 20 years ago, we somehow put in our mind a fairy tale vision that some point in time in history, things weren't bad. As long as there's been sin, it's been bad. Therefore, verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. 
Last and close, here we go. As Christians, here we go, so I can't leave y'all there. As Christians, we're committed to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. That's us. That's us. If we are claiming the name of Jesus Christ, and we are called to walk worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ, that's us. In 1999, what has been dubbed the picture called the hand of hope, a baby's arm, it's having surgery for spina bifida and so they're opening up the mother's uterus and, and, and trying to make sure they get everything right and a baby's arm comes out and latches to the finger of a doctor and I believe we got it on the screen if we can pull that up. That baby was not that old. Everything went well, sewed the baby up, back in, full term, healthy. That's not a fake, that's not a hoax, that's a real picture. Since 1973, some of those who have been murdered in the womb, they would have been 47 this year. They would have been 47. Roe versus Wade, I believe it will be overturned. I do not believe that just because of what just happened with the nomination that we have of the Supreme Court Justice. I believe that will hopefully further and enact it. I pray it does. But this is no longer, nor was it ever, but this is not an argument from science, even if you don't believe in the Bible. It's not. This is an irrational, illogical conclusion which only lends itself towards doing what? What best serves a person, not what is in the best interest of a life. I truly believe Roe versus Wade will be overturned. But here's the question that we need to ask ourselves. In 30 to 40 years, what will your grandchildren say to you when they ask, why did your generation murder unborn babies? And what did you do to stop it? How, how are we going to answer that question? I'm talking about for, for my generation right here. How are we going to answer that question? How are we going to answer the question of what did we do to end this? What did we do? What did we do to end it? I can ask the same question. You want to watch a different type of question? What about those who are 60, 70, 80 years old who are either in here or watching right now? What did you do when the civil rights movement was happening? What did you say and what did you stand for? Did you watch on the wayside? What did you do? We always talk about being on the right side of history. I want to tell you, you want to always be on the right side of history. You stand on wherever God's side, where he proclaims it to be. That's the right side of history. Because every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us will give an answer for what we've done in this life or what we have not done. We need to stand on God's side. Edward Hale says it this way, I'm only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9, open your mouth for the mute for the rights of those who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Who are more poor, 
Who are more needy? Who are more desperate? Who are more weak than the unborn? Who? I can't leave you, man. The message would be a total flop if I leave you here. So here's, here's what we need, I believe, to do. We need to repent, man. We, we need to repent. I personally, I need, I need to repent for this being a backdrop. Like th- this being something that is, I know, wrong, obviously. But what am I doing to make a difference in this entire situation? What am I doing? We need to repent and call it for what it is. And we need to repent and recognize what we haven't done and how we stood by the wayside. Some of us in here this morning, you want healing. You know someone who's been through this. Maybe you've been through this. Repent. Bring it into the light. Men, we're the ones who don't get talked about a lot in this situation, but in many cases are the ones encouraging it. Repent. Repent. Second, we pray. This is not a truth issue at all. This is absolutely a spiritual issue. There's no guesswork here anymore. I mean, anything that I've shown you, this is not me cherry picking. Look it up for yourself. There's way more information out there. This is not a fact issue. This is a spiritual issue. This is an illogical thing to do. We need to pray. We need to intercede just as Moses interceded on behalf of Israel. And third, I, want to, I believe this absolutely with all my heart. This should, should absolutely affect the way you vote. A hundred percent affect the way you vote. And the fact that you do vote. I, I, got, I got serious qualms with any Christian out there who has of age and ability to vote and does not vote. I, I do not understand you. We happen to be in a country that allows us to have our opinion, Lord willing, be heard. And yet I have some people out there who take this fatalistic viewpoint that, well, it doesn't really matter. My vote doesn't count. Of course it doesn't count when you don't vote. Vote. I believe, and you can check me, I believe it's vote.gov, but I believe in Louisiana, it's 30 days in person, 30 days mail-in, so I think you're out. But it's 20 days, I believe, check it, if maybe that's you and you're saying, man, I want to vote. I, I didn't think about it that way. I believe you have 20 days online, so you'd still be within the realm to be able to to sign up online, I believe. I could be wrong, but check it out. It should inform 100% the way in which you vote. It should be impossible in my, mm, I don't even know this is opinion, but I believe it's fact. It should be impossible as a Christian to vote for anyone who's pro-abortion, pro-choice. I believe, I, I don't think that's possible. No, I know it's not possible, I'm sorry. I know it's not possible, it's not possible. And you're like, but, but what if they were great economic person? What if they can unify all the people? What if this one policy is enough for me to say I cannot vote for that person, even if they're great at all the things above? Even if they can bring in world peace, if they are murdering children and they say it's okay no matter how cute they make it, I can't vote for them. I can strongly, ready for this one? I can strongly disagree with the moral character of a person I can strongly disagree with the speech of a person. I can strongly disagree in many facets, but if their policies best reflect biblical truth, right and wrong, I will vote for them every single time. I do not have to want to be best buddies with them. I'm not electing a commander and pastor. I'm commander in chief is what I'm electing. And that goes, flows every single election. Every single election. 
I, I, I don't. Foreign clothes. Get involved. Get involved. We must be more than angry. We must be more than posting now. We must be more than shaking our fist at all those people who aren't us. We must be more than that. The worst thing this message could ever do is you're riled for two weeks and you're ready to go and you're sprinting and then you gas out. Righteousness for a Christian is a marathon. Every day. Every day. Every day. So what are some very practical ways? I'm going to name them. And then in six weeks, on November the 8th, we're going to give you an even greater opportunity when we talk about Orphan Sunday and what God's doing through CASA, what God's doing through fostering, what God's doing through adoption. We're going to do that. And I'm just, I'm, I'm encouraging you to pray. I'm encouraging you to look. But here's a few things you can do. Last year, we had Kathleen had a small group where they went to the abortion clinic and they didn't get out there rallying, telling everybody they're going to hell. They weren't picketing and throwing rocks or anything stupid like that. They were out there praying on behalf of the people going in there for God is the one who changes hearts. And she had people coming together with her, praying and interceding on behalf, no matter what they said to her, no matter how rude they were to her. Again, you want to bring down someone's guard, then you allow love to seep through. Man, that was a beautiful thing. And I encourage more small groups and more people to say, I want to do that. I'm passionate about that. Then do it. Volunteer at the Care Pregnancy Center. Volunteer. You can volunteer there. You don't have to be paid there. You don't have to go there every day, but you can volunteer there to welcome people. And this place is where people who are thinking about abortion, they can come in there and get a free sonogram and can be counseled by someone in biblical counseling. And we support that as a church. When you give here, that's one of the ministries we support. I'm encouraging you. Be a part of that if you're passionate about it. Sign up for CASA. Be someone who is a court-appointed advocate. Learn more and get involved with fostering or adoption. Come talk to me. I mean, I'm, I'm new in the whole game, but I'll say something to you. There's many people in our church, and I believe there's many more even right now who are getting ready to go into that process. And I'll tell you what, one of the most important things, we need to be a church who without judgment welcomes those people who are either from the outside or something that happens inside internally here. Pregnancy is not sin, okay? Now what led to that place, we want to help them see, we want them to be able to repent and in faith believe, sin's forgiven, but how dare we not with open arms, potentially open homes, open wallets, you understand what I'm saying? Like when you, when you talk about stuff, you're like, man, I'm all about it, but you don't do anything about it, James says that's not real. James says that's not faith. We've got to be a church that welcomes. I do not mean greeters, as wonderful as they are. I mean beyond that. I mean we welcome. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We are the body of Christ. I was telling one of my friends the other day, he didn't, he didn't come to church here, and I was telling him about what the message was today, and he immediately brought up something that happened I don't know how long ago, at a church um, near here, and, and said so basically a, a young girl in, in the church got pregnant, and that the church forced her to come up to the front and, and shamed her and, and told, you know, how horrible she was, and, and he was like, man, that was so messed up, and I said, you're right, I was. And that's what leaves a bad taste in my friend's mouth, I don't know if he's attending church actively or at all because things like that pop up in his head. That's what he's equating with church. 
equating with people. And for that young girl, I don't know what decision she made. And Frank said it this way, how wonderful it is that nobody need wait a single moment before starting to improve the world. Let's stand, let's pray. Father, we're coming before you this morning. Lord God, we recognize this to be such a, a difficult, a difficult place. And so, Lord, I just want to ask you for the words. Father, for any of those in here this morning that have ever taken that action of aborting their baby, Lord God, I want them to know that in the name of Jesus, they can be forgiven. I want them to know that there are people here specifically that love them and want to be there for them. I want them to know that they can run to your arms and be received and to be welcomed and to be forgiven. That all of our sin needs to be exposed before you, Lord God, for you already know it. It is for our soul, it's for our own spiritual health, Lord God, that we confess these things to you. I pray for every single young woman in here from the youngest to the oldest, Lord God, that's gonna feel the pressure of society. It's gonna feel the pressure of their peers. It's gonna feel the pressure of potentially a boyfriend who has not the best interest for them or the pressure of parents who are short-sighted. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would put a protective hedge around them, Lord God. Father, they, they would know that they are loved, Lord God, most importantly by you. And Father, that we would be a loving and welcoming church, Father, to help them, to nurture them, to be there for them, that their identity would not be found in someone or something, Lord God, be found in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for every single male here today, Lord. For anyone here today who is encouraged or supported, someone to get an abortion, Lord God, I, I pray that they would confess that sin and receive that forgiveness, Lord God. Father, I pray that they would own it just as we should all own our sin, Lord. And Father, that we would live in such a way, Father, from this point forward, for such were some of you. But now you've been washed and you've been sanctified and you've been justified. But God, we want to thank you that it doesn't end with bad news, it ends with good news. We want to thank you for that, Lord God. And Father, for us as a church, as a whole, Father, I just pray, Lord God, that we would be so aware not fall asleep, not fall by the wayside. Father, that we wouldn't just talk about these things, but we would do something about them, that we would be a part of any single way, physically, financially, spiritually, emotionally, that we would be people who do something, who do good works, Lord God. It starts in your house with your people. Father, may this time be a time bringing glory to your son's name and bringing glory to you as fathers we sing 
song of worship, song of praise, Lord God, for people to come down, to be able to kneel, to be able to pray, to be able to intercede on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our people, on behalf of those who are going to be elected officials, Lord God. Lord, I pray right now that we as your people just simply would take that step and make that move, Lord, and just begin to pray and intercede, Lord. It's in Jesus we pray these things.